Hey there, welcome to another episode of The Colour Couch. I'm your game show host, Vincent Taylor. I would like to welcome my old friend, Dee McClelland. Now, Dee is a colourist extraordinaire based in Australia, who I haven't seen for such a long time. And, and even though this is an audio podcast, I'm getting to see her beautiful face at the moment on the Zoom. Hi. <laughs> Dee, welcome. Thank you, Vincent. It is lovely to see your face. And uh, yeah, I think the last time we saw you, you were popping into Melbourne very briefly in and out again. And oh, uh, you caught up yeah. with a bunch of us colourists at, a, at the local pub and had a couple of drinks. It was lovely. That's right. Oh my gosh, I'd completely forgotten about that. I must have just come back for... I can't even remember why we came back. That's when I was living in Shanghai, I think, and then I, I, it I must came have back. Been. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's I, I think three, four, five. Six, I think it's almost seven years that I've yeah, been gone. Yeah. That I've been out from Australia. It's in, insane. It's just like crazy. I wanted to speak to you uh, for a couple of reasons. One, you're awesome. Uh, but two, uh, in my head, I went. Oh my gosh, Dee's worked on so many, so many things. And then, of course, I thought I should do my due diligence and have a look at your website and see what you've worked on. But I was wrong. You've worked on so much stuff. It's insane. It's like, it's nuts. Like, it's, it's, you're a veteran colorist. Yes, I, I don't know if I enjoy that term or not, but do you, move, do you move from veteran straight into antique? I'm not quite sure how it all goes. But, yeah, no, I, I think that's just due to the fact that I have been around for so long. Um, I started uh, at the age of 17, and it has been, dare I say it, 40 years since oh, I started. goodness. So I started at the New Zealand National Film Unit in the processing department, processing motion picture film, so right from the bottom all the way up through. Wait, so. are you, you're not a Kiwi? Oh, yes, I am. What? <laughs> you, what? You're not going to stop recording now, are you? But why did it, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, no, um, they, they beat the accent out of me. Because I, I grew up in New Zealand. Yeah, I thought I thought you did too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, there you go. I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, my goodness. So we've got a lot in common, Vincent. There you go. Yeah. So 17 years old. 17, I wandered into the New Zealand National Film Unit and said, have you got any jobs for a cheeky young school leaver? And uh, they looked at me and thought, what are you you're kidding? And sent me away to fill out forms and post them in. And I came back almost immediately and the woman said, well, you've got some moxie. And uh, got me interviewed and, and got me started the next wow. couple of months. So it was good. And did you have a, I mean... You knocked on that door for for a reason, not just, you know, it wasn't like the, the, the local shop or something like that. No, it was reason. intriguing to me. Um, the TVNZ was actually just up the road and I had been to visit them and they said, you can go on the waiting list, it'll be a three-year wait before we get back to you. And so up the road was the New Zealand National Film Unit and I knew that they'd just built these brand new facilities and it was really exciting and they had studio, sound studio, they had um, a special effects team, they had, uh, you know, obviously film processing, grading, sound, the whole gamut was all there in that one building, it's essentially for the tourism department, government department of New wow. Zealand. Wow. So, yeah, it was pretty dynamic, exciting place. And, and I learned so much all in one place, you know because I could just bobble around to every department and ask stupid questions and right, so, so, so you literally did spend time in each department of, of yeah, what a, yeah, what in, a in the lab. Yeah, it was a good foundation, actually. Yeah, learning to handle film, learning to grade on an analyzer, a Hazeltine analyzer. So right back from grassroots. So for any of our younger listeners, 
I mean, talk talk about film analyzers. Talk about because I want. I'm I'm kind of jumping ahead as I knew I would and I always do, but I definitely wanted to talk about how technology has changed. You know, for us as colorists, and um, yeah, please tell me tell me about that. So basically, once your film has been shot, uh, processed, they run off prints. Just no grey, just a LED lab standard colour. From the prints, they then do their cutting because they're not handling the neg, do the final cut on the neg. Then they hand it over to a colourist to put it on especially just a, a large machine that shines light through the film onto a monitor and you make your decisions about the colour using three options, red, green or blue. So you add more of each colour or less and if you want it darker, they all go down. If you want it brighter, it all goes up. And that was the extent of the controls we had for colour grading. And the decisions we made were spat out on a little printer tape, a little ticker tape, which went into the printer and the information on that tape allowed the colour, the valves of the printer to open and close to the right amount so that the right colour was then shone through the negative onto a new print. That's incredible. So that's in a nutshell, yeah. Did I hear you right that you're, you're controlling luminance? Luminance by using all three of the <laughs> controls, red, green and blue. Right. Um, but... Yeah, that's what you had. That's, Red, that's green and blue. Nuts. Very simple. Yeah. But of course, you have to have a good eye for colour and, a, and right from the start, a good understanding of what the client needs, what the film's for, who's going to see it, what's, you know, what they're trying to get across to the audience. So, you know, that's where you learn to communicate really well. Because mm. to get it wrong, it meant that you had to strike another print. And it's all very expensive the more you. So you get the good grace of, I think, um, a trial print and an answer print. So you have a go, first go, and then they make it little adjustments and then they have the final print. So you want to be starting on a short film that isn't expensive. <laughs> if you're not doing very well, you have to run off more prints. Do you remember, I mean, I know it's a long while ago, but do you remember one of the first times of seeing one of the prints that you did? Do you remember that kind of feeling of... Oh, yeah, of course. It's always, you're always a bit anxious and um, you've also got to, got to be prepared for... Uh, owning your mistakes, you know, that's not supposed to be that dark, you know. Right. Uh, and then you show it, sit with a client and, and talk about the changes that they want to make. So it's always been like that really, hasn't it? You, you put your mark on something, this is how you've interpreted their instructions and then you sit with them and go, did I get it right? Is this what you meant? Yeah. There's so many uh, jobs within our job as a colourist and to, you know, one of the, one of the fundamental ones is to, yeah, is to get inside that person's head, you know, because we all we all see colour differently, don't we? And we all see luminous differently. That's right. I was just saying the other day, um, visual reference is probably the most succinct way to explain to a colourist what you want. This is what I this is what I want. I've had clients come in and say, "I'd like a a warm blue." Well, I I say, "Well, that'd be a green," um, because if you put some warmth in, it changes from a blue. So you know, everyone's got a different way of. Um, speaking about colour. So having something to show somebody, whether it's a, uh, a photograph, a bit of footage, or if they can send you to look at a film or whatever it is, you just need perhaps a bit of a visual reference rather than relying on terminology or feelings. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's, it's the number of times I'll get an email and it'll sort of say, hey, just, just as a brief, and they'll just write down what they kind of want. And it's like, mm. oh man, that can be interpreted so many ways. It's it's like, it's tough, you know. Yeah. So when that happens to me, I try and find something that I can send back to them and say, "Is this what you meant?" 
you know, so that uh, we can be on the same page or have some stuff ready for when they come in the suite. I've got a few uh, examples of where I thought you were heading. Is this what you want? And sometimes they see it and go, actually, that is what I was thinking. But now that I see it, huh. perhaps we can try something else. Yeah. 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 So how long were you there? I think I was there for about two years and then moved on to um, Colour Film in Auckland, so another lab just set up from, from Australia. Uh, Atlab was, is the main company there. So went on to, to work for another lab and then up the road from them was a post house that did commercials and, um, you know, I was absolutely wrapped that you could grade something and it was instant. It was on the screen, it was recorded to tape and I went off to, <laughs> to Tellyland, whereas prior to that it was always, you know, wait for your print. Um, so, yeah, the instant and also the extra controls. We could do stuff that was really exciting. So, now, now that's interesting, isn't it? So, yeah. so, so already there's a, a jump in technology that's starting, starting to trickle in. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how it kind of advanced. It's just evolved out of um, sometimes just being in the right place. And I, I would say always curiosity, just asking questions. Oh, have you ever considered that a colorist from a, a lab could do this job and you know just just asking questions and and maybe being a little bit of a pest asking too many questions but I think a curious mind um, is a mind that's always going to grow and learn and and take on new challenges so that's one of the things I tell the youngsters if they ask me I remember um, my, my I don't know I'm gonna call I'm gonna use the word break but it's the wrong word but my my break into a kind of an artistic world I remember being at school, you know, not not liking the choices I was making with classes, and then I'd left it too late, and they said, well, you can do this art history class. And I went, right. Uh, uh, all right. You know, <laughs> so I did that. But that changed my life. That one, that one year changed my life. And I, and I, remember, uh, I remember a lot of things from that class, but one of the things was the teacher saying, if you like something, like a painting or don't like something that's great but then you must ask why mm. you know, and that's that curiosity and and yeah. from from that whenever you look at stuff and I know I speak for myself but I'm sure it's the same with you whenever you're looking at an image and it's not right or it is right you're going mm, but why why yeah why? and how why? could it be why? better how could yeah, it be yeah. better yeah 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 yeah. Um, yeah well like you I, I at school I was all about art and art history and photography and just absolutely immersed in beautiful images and I think that's why the film unit and then um, up the road at the post house was just opening my eyes to how much potential an image can have um, and and us being in between the image and the client and getting the best out of it for them is it's always been a mm. joy and then and then something that um, I mean a lot of people are going to go yeah yeah I know this I know this but it's so it does amaze me how many people don't know it and that's the difference between color correction and color grading and mm. and and I'd love to hear your 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 kind of point of view on that and how it one feeds the other or doesn't right so you're talking about um, normalizing and balancing a timeline yeah and then coming back and playing and getting a look across it. Um, so I'm about to start uh, working at Swinburne and, and, and um, teaching students about how I do things and, and what works well for me. And of course, a balance is um, the meat and potatoes. It's getting, it's getting the job right, getting everything balanced. Then whatever you do, whatever look you apply afterwards is going to work across the timeline because it's already got that good 
starting point. And you can peel it off, you can put it back on, you can muck around with it all you like, but that baseline is good. So I feel like it's, it's quite a talent to understand how to balance something in the first place and to understand what looks visually correct. Um, if you can nail that, then you can play to your heart's content with looks and tricks. And so I, I feel like you, you know, you don't get dessert until you've, you've <laughs> had your main course. Get in there, get it right, and then uh, go and have some fun. Okay, so so you've started working with more uh, stuff that's going out for tele for broadcast. Yes, uh, then, also feature films. Yeah, and then and then getting a bit a bit bit of a bigger tool set. So a few. Oh, more you're talking about in the past. Yes, that's yeah, what you yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yes, and uh, and then of course in in that um, facility, I learned more about the other departments as well. You know, just being curious and nosy and asking what's going on. Uh, so, yeah, from there I ended up um, moving across to Australia and and started. I think my first job was at Complete Post over there. No, actually, it was <laughs> I'm getting confused here. It was Pro Image in the 1980s. So, right. and that was way bigger and more stuff happening and more things evolving so every step of the way there's something new to learn and get you. where was the if it was a moment or where where was the time and place where you went okay it's it's telly senior it's picture because you you worked in all those different departments but obviously at some point you went you know what this is where i'm going this is what i want to do i think it's um where i had the most fun and probably the most guidance you know um in new zealand there were more female colorists than there were male colourists. Really? And I feel like they, and in fact, all the way through my life, I've always felt there's just been somebody who's been kind enough to give me their time and encouragement. Um, and I think that's why I've gravitated there because there were good people to, to teach and to demonstrate. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's incredible, isn't it, when you get that, uh, that support and encouragement and, and room to kind of just do stuff. It, 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 it's... We don't all get those opportunities, and it's and it's incredible because it can really just change the whole course of direction of your life, you know. Yeah, of course. And for you, you were a cinematographer, weren't you? Isn't that yeah. how you came into? Yeah, that's exactly Sydney? that's yeah, exactly yeah. it. And I so and you, I, you had an eye yeah. for beautiful pictures to begin with, and then um, learnt the tools to enhance them even further. That must have been greatly satisfying for you. It was interesting, you know, because I I really didn't know if if it was what I wanted to do but I but I knew that I wasn't I was a bit stuck with the, the cinematography there were, you know I was kind of getting pigeonholed into doing the same kind of stuff and I had a big break for for a whole 12 months actually I had a break out of the industry completely and then got got um invited I guess to kind of give it a go for three months in in, in the telecine department and I just I lit up I mean there was something mm. about going oh hang on there's a way I can still manipulate lighting and, and play with mm. colour, you know, and and because I came from that film background, it was it was really useful. So, yeah. um, but but the same thing, just having the opportunity and the support and the encouragement, and then, yeah, and I still love it. Do you still love yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, I do still love it, and yeah. I, I'm hoping that I can get that across to the students as I um, learn to teach. <laughs> uh, and the other unique thing about it is, of course, that it's such a mix of creativity and technical. And there aren't many roles um, that involve both, that you have to actually be across all this new technology so constantly and updated software and, you know, it just keeps on growing. Uh, but you're also in there making beautiful pictures, and that, yeah. that's sort of what really makes me 
hum. I just love it, you know. And then you, okay, so so you're in Australia then. You'd moved to Australia and uh, at, did you say Pro Image? Yeah, Pro Image. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't that. Know uh, oh, well, that was an interesting <clears throat> time because um, VTC, which was another post house, got swallowed up by Pro Image and then Pro Image got swallowed up by another company uh, and there were redundancies. It was just a crazy time. Um, and then I moved, I was freelancer at AAV for a while, then up to Queensland and worked at um, Video Lab, which was like a little pizza hut shaped building on the lot at, <laughs> in, on the Gold Coast there at Warner Brothers. And then to Cutting Edge in Brisbane for a while. And then, bloody hell, I went back to New Zealand. You did. <laughs> I went back to New Zealand. Um, I was only going to be there a couple of years, turned out to be about nine years um, at Digital Post. And then back here to Melbourne at Complete Post with the Schwartzes and then AAV again, wow. which had become Digital Pictures, I think, by that time, or OmniLab. So it feels like lots of stuff has changed around me. I've, I've moved backwards and forwards, but there's always that having to adapt and change and keeping on top of things and different methods and different companies. Absolutely. And and, and during that whole course of time, uh, even up to Complete Post, that was that was still Telecine? Yes, yes, it was. That's right. In fact, Complete Post were going to purchase the first film scanner in Victoria, maybe Australia. They got gazumped by um, digital pictures by a couple of days. Um, so they got their, their film scanner in just before. And so that's when things started to change a lot. Um, we went from grading straight off film to grading files from, you know, film that had been converted to DPX, etc. And then, of course, the whole, whole world seemed to change with technology. No longer film. We're all file-based uh, grading now. So completely different in, in such a short time. It, it's, a, it's, it's a cliche expression, but it honestly felt like overnight. Like it was so mm. quick. How it just yeah, I know those poor cinematographers who were just suddenly faced with brand new technology who had been running the same cameras all their lives were just, um, you know, their heads were spinning. And we were all spinning a little bit trying to help each other out and make sure that we were getting the best out of the images they produced and that they were producing the best images they could. So, yeah, it was a fun time that time. <laughs> I, I remember going to see, what was the Tom Cruise film? It was one of the first digital films, Collateral or... It was where he was the hitman. But anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I went to see that and, and I kind of went to it and went, ah, it doesn't look like film, you know. It doesn't have the same feel. They're, it's not as organic. Yeah, that's it. They're, they're never going to get there. And then, nah, you know. It's not the yeah. same. And then, you uh, know, a few years later, bang, it's amazing. All gone, yeah. I, I started off by saying that you've worked on, on such a range of mm-hmm. work, you know, um, uh, features, obviously, really successful TV series. Uh, and and documentary, do you, um, when you approach a style of like a genre or something like that, do you approach it differently or or treat it the same? Well, I think it's how their expectations too. Like we're obviously given a lot less time for a ninety-minute documentary than we are for a ninety-minute feature film, um, but the 90-minute documentary can be so much more challenging because often it's archival footage or a variety of cameras or, you know, you're trying to pull together a whole lot of stuff that just doesn't match or sit well. So that's the biggest challenge with um, a documentary. A feature film here in Australia, we get between 10 and 15 days to grade a feature. So it's full on, it's flat out, there's lots of reviews, there's lots of people involved and... um, Visual effects can come and go. Uh, the last feature film that I did that was heavily visual effects based uh, turned into quite a, 
a long session because the vendors were all over the world and they were sending in their visual effects and we were, you know, reviewing them all in the theatre, which took up a huge amount of my grading time. Um, but they needed me there to, to check that the, if I graded it, would it look better? Um, you know, what the potential was for each visual effect. So, as I say, in Australia, it's about 10 to 15 days for a feature film grade. For a documentary, I might get mm, four or five days if it's a 90-minute documentary. That is no time at all. No, and, and they're trying to cut that back too. So I'm pedalling really, really fast. And I have to just start saying to myself, I'm not going to be able to achieve all the things that I'd hope to um, and start just looking at where else that can be done, whether it's down the line at the online stage or whether I can call out and say a visual effects person needs to spend time on this shot. Or So, yeah, you get to the point where all the things you'd like to have done may not be possible and you just have to be real and say, if you want this, we either need more time or you're going to, have to live with it this way or find someone else who's available to do it. So, yeah, it's a very different approach and I know I've got to be really fast with that limited time. And for things like a half-hour TV episode I would probably get a day to grade and review and get that out the door um, those that have more things involved I might get a day and a half two tops for a half hour but for a one hour episode I'm probably given two and a half days so um, a couple of days to grade and a half day to review with the client so it's very yeah. full on yeah very full on. I, I touched on uh, before about that thing about wearing you know, there's so many different elements to the job mm. and then one of them is definitely that time management and, and managing the grade and also managing the client. Absolutely, yeah. Like um, they now know the tools that we have at our disposal. We've got a lot of tools now um, and I'm spending an inordinate amount of time doing beauty fixes and, um, you know, things that are really time consuming and processor heavy and take away from the grading time because they know I've got that trick. And I, you know, foolishly say, hey, if you've got a problem with this, this is what I can do. But then they give me, you know, so many shots that need that work. I think, damn, I should have shut my mouth. Yeah, I do, it. I do that too. <laughs> there, you know, there's so many lovely toys to play with. Oh, yeah, you, you'd just be able to do that and that. You'd be able to get rid of that. Yeah, and you, it comes out of your mouth and then you go, oh. Oh, now I've done it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So managing expectations, they may come to me and say, um, we've just uh, cut together this episode and we realise that there's an issue with makeup or um, acne or something. We are you know, going to just either give you some more time. Uh, how much do you think you can fix? They might give me a couple of test pieces and then we can talk about whether it's more cost effective to farm it out to a visual effects person who has the better tools at the end of the day um, and probably more skilled at getting it done more efficiently. If it's a few things here and there, not a problem for the, the time I'm given, but it's it's checking with them. What are you expecting? What My first question to any client when they walk in the door, what are you most concerned about with this timeline? Which shots bother you the most? Let's get them out of the way so you can relax. And we can also see how much time that's going to take as compared to the rest of the timeline. So tackling the big nasties first puts everybody in a good state of mind to just continue. That's really clever. Yeah, it's mm. a really good idea. And that, I mean, I mean that... That psychology of the room is so important, isn't it? Absolutely. Because, because it's, a, it's a really sensitive time. Yeah, th th this is their baby. And they've been carrying it for a long time. And this is the day where they get to see how beautiful it, it can be. So I'm very aware of um, how special and how precious this is. And I want to make sure that they leave my room really happy, you know, and want to come back mm. is the main that aim. Spe that speaks volumes about you, actually. Um, I, I think that that's, that's the thing. You, you really care about the work that you're doing and, and it shows and it also shows 
with your reputation, you know, because the, the first whenever you are, I don't don't get all blushy now, but it, whenever your name is me- whenever your name is mentioned, it's always like, oh my god, Dee is just so amazing to work with. She's just so lovely, so patient, so you know, and and stop it, I like it. But but it's true. That is that's a consistent kind of knee jerk uh, response from people, and and it's, oh, that's uh, good, and that's come from forty years of of just having to be patient and knowing that there isn't a crisis that can't be solved, you know. There's always a way to fix something. Whether it means more time or more money, it's not the end of the world. Things can be fixed. Mm. And I know that a lot of people come in terrified that, you know, it's not going to make the mark, it's not going to be good enough, but there are teams of people with lots of skills and we're all there to make beautiful pictures together, really. Do you have, um, this is a nasty question, but do, do you have a project that you particularly kind of just adore that you go oh my gosh I, that's exactly the the image i wanted to create and you know something that you are very proud well, of probably um probably the the series that i've enjoyed working on the most for a, a number of reasons not just how it looked and how it was shot is uh the miss fisher murder mysteries now this is shot by a dop called roger lancer um who is a, a cinematographer who does feature films mostly and he brought his feature film um, sensibilities to this TV series and it's got a beautiful glossy rich look and he spent the time lighting it the way he wants to light it and you know the budgets weren't very large he had to really work hard to get what he wanted the way he wanted it and it really shows on the screen so working with him and his way of shooting has been absolutely delightful but on another level, this TV series um, was so popular that uh, it ran for three series that audiences were so um, devastated that it didn't continue. Uh, the production team did a GoFundMe page and raised enough money to shoot a feature film. So Miss Fisher became a feature film, Miss Fisher and the Crypt of Tears. So it was shot in Morocco and in Melbourne. And <laughs> the fans just went crazy. The more they paid, um, the higher up the ranking they went, they could be in the film as an extra. No. Or they could have their name on a, on a street sign or a building somewhere in the background. The subtle ways, the more you paid, the more exposure your name got. So, they're, you know, goofy people in the background, you knew, oh, that's a person who's an extra who's paid extra money. <laughs> you know? That's so, sensational. I just think it's a lovely story that there are so many people that so love this character in the series that they managed to raise the funds to make a beautiful movie, again, shot by Roger Lancer. Um, Essie Davis, who's the star of the show, obviously has a lot of other work, so she oh couldn't. Oh my she, gosh, she's amazing! Yeah, she's amazing. So she can't continue to do the role, as far as I understand. But a spin-off, Miss Fisher, Modern Murder Mysteries, has evolved, and I've just completed the second series for the same company, Every Car- Every Cloud Productions, and that looks gorgeous too. You know, they they they've also rolled it into. Um, uh, they have exhibitions of the wardrobe and stuff that have actually brought a lot of money to Victoria. People come from all around the world. The, the original Miss Fisher was set in what time period? 1920s. And then, so what's, and then what's the modern one set in? 1960s. Right, right. So, <laughs> yes. yeah. so modern is a, you know, term. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, compared to its 20s. So, yeah, that, they've actually had these huge... Um, wardrobe exhibits that actually travel the country. There are fans who just love the, the old-fashioned clothes yeah. and the, um, the trouble they go to to replicate what was so beautiful in the 1920s. So that's just, a, that's just a, one, of those, um, one of those jobs that has just evolved over time. It's always been delightful to work with. And when, when you very first, uh, you know, you, you were developing the look of that show, do you recall what the process was 
to do that with the DP? Well, the same sort of thing, a nice balance, make sure that he didn't walk in the room and go, oh, shit, I shouldn't have underexposed that or overexposed that. So he walks in and it's looking like a good starting point. And, you know, he talked to me about the films he'd shot um, and about how he wanted it to look, you know, a little bit more oomph than your average Australian TV drama. So we really did go in heavy with some rich colours and some deeper blacks and, you know, it I don't know, it's just lovely. And, of course, the the rest of the team were, were worried about wardrobe and makeup and lipstick. I spent a lot of time brightening her lipstick and tracking that around the screen. But, um, yeah, it's it's just been a lovely a lovely series and a lovely film yeah. to work on. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen them any of the modern ones, so that's something I'll have to, I'll have to check out. Well, again, lovely wardrobe, you know, all those lovely colours and nylon fabrics and big white boots and, you know, it's all it's great. So you, so you just finished season two for that, yeah? Yes, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Mm, I think it's on Acorn if you're keen to look at it. I don't know. You've got Acorn it? over there? No, oh, what, what I is thought that? it was a... Some, I don't know. Oh, it might be. It might be. I, I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Some streaming service. Yeah. But yeah, so no, that's, that's always been lovely. And um, I think I mentioned the feature film that had so many um, visual effects vendors from all over the world. It was a... I think it was the most expensive Australian film that we've never heard of. It was called The Whistleblower. It was a, a Chinese-Australian co-pro and it was 45 million to shoot and probably that again for the visual effects. <laughs> they spent so much money on visual effects. But um, that was that was challenging in that, you know, all those different vendors bringing stuff in and decisions. And at one point I had a visual effects guy come with his gear and sit behind me and make changes to the shots uh, and give, feed them to me live. It was Whoa. like, <laughs> is this dark enough? Is this got, there's the key right here and it just... It was very, very intense kind of period. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel stressed. Just, <laughs> oh my god, just, it sounds so stressful. Um, yeah. yeah, that's where patience and a sense of calm comes in very handy. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about um, this dreaded pandemic. Oh, um, did you now? Well, you know, I, I thought I should mention it. It's something that I mean, started recording about. You know, one of the one of the reasons I kind of stopped recording the podcast was because you know the the, the pandemic blues were certainly settling in, and, and there was enough fires to be putting out uh, without trying to do podcasts and that as well. Mm. But um, you know, working from home, at least for me and and so many others, um, and then dealing with very different kind of footage and. I mean, my, my experience is mine, but I'd love to hear what your experience is of that, you know, that lockdown and how it was. Right. Well, for me, uh, it's long form. So the challenges for, for working from home are that it's a huge amount of data yeah. and grading it and then uploading it for people to make grading decisions was the biggest challenge. Uh, the company that I was freelancing for allowed me to take home the gear because we were right in the middle of a, of a series that had shot four episodes but was stopped because of the pandemic. But the four episodes that were shot were cut and I was able to continue grading uh, until the broadcaster decided that uh, as the shooting had stopped, they would no longer fund the rest of the post-process. But anyway, I graded um, a number of episodes from home on the equipment that uh, this company allowed me to, to bring home for that purpose. My challenge was uploading it and for them to download it at sufficient quality to make judgment calls on you know 30 minutes of of tv episodic stuff the other challenge was that what the hell were they looking at it on you know we had people brisbane sydney all over the place looking at it on their telly looking at it on their iphones um, we decided that the best way was for them to all 
look at it on an iPad, we found that sitting an iPad next to our grading monitor, we could find a setting on the iPad that would get very, very close. The nuances of all the you know, intricate colour, not so much, but generally the, the warmth or the contrast. Um, so for a lot of time, I was getting notes from four different directions, all with different different ideas of what they were expecting. Yeah. And I don't think that they were looking at the same colour space a lot of the time. So th those were the challenges for me because um, it does take a lot of time to then get all the notes in and look at what they're saying and go, well, he's contradicting her. The cinematographer asked me to do that. And so in the end, we had to find an adjudicator that had the last say. Oh and um, we got the cinematographer into a suite where the colour balance was perfect and we could just say, those notes aren't relevant, these notes are, let's do this. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's actually not that easy for long form to be done from home. Short films, yeah, not so much. Well, I mean, even uh, the latter part of what you're talking about, about um, you know, what people are judging the colour yeah. on, we definitely encountered that as well. Um, yeah. um, up, the upload and download of footage, yeah, there was there was times where it was a you know an overnighter, but you know it's short form. It's still it's still not what you're dealing with. Yeah, and it's often captured on 4K media, so it's it, they're large files, and it's you know I'm sure as time goes on it'll get easier, but it really was a challenge. And mm. um, I was kind of glad that we, we packed up the kit and sent it back because it was just. And I think there's just also an element of doubt, no matter what that element of doubt is. If someone's come into a room and they're not entirely sure about the company they're, they're with or whether people are making the right, if, if there's any element of doubt, it kind of blossoms. So it's really important to keep people confident about what we're doing as colorists, what they're seeing on the screen. Uh, and I think them being at home, all you have to do really is tilt your screen a little bit forward or back and the contrast changes, you know. So, um, yeah. yeah, making sure they're confident with what they're seeing yeah. is, is the key. Something that, uh, you know, something you said then, I'm not sure what the specific thing was, but it reminded me of how colour, colour grading, colour correction, the whole deal, it's, it can appear so freaking simple, right? Mm -hmm. it's, got, it's, got the, it's got the possibility to be quite simple. We all know what green grass looks like. We all know that, you know, whatever story you've got that, you know, mm. but oh my gosh, it unravels so quickly. You know, and there's so many nuances that, you know, just a tiny tweak here can change the whole feel of something, you know. Yeah. Uh, one, one DOP came to me and said, I want this to look American. And I said, so what does American mean to you? And he decided that the trees in America weren't quite as green. I don't know why. He wanted cooler greener green trees. So mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time keying all the trees, all the bushes, all the grass just to make it titch more blue and that to him felt like it was American so that's a tiny little nuance and that's what it meant to him um, so it's yeah it doesn't take much to change the feel of something I, I, I adore that and it also drives me crazy because it, it, it because it's like that exactly that you know like uh, my, my commercial example of that you know from years ago when Instagram was going off off the off the mm -hmm. shelves you know, people say, oh, I want the Instagram look. And you go, okay. Which one? Which one? <laughs> but but I'd, I'd, I'd give my version of it, you know, maybe a slightly blurry edge or almost a cross-process look or, you know, mm. made it look. And they went, oh, that's, yeah, that's great. That's good. Can you back it off a little? I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and can you remove the blur? Yeah, yeah. And can you you make the whites look white? And you go, yeah, yeah. And sure enough, after about. Back to where you started. <laughs> 
so you know my 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 perception of what Instagram is compared to somebody yeah. else's head. Um, but this, there must be a hundred anecdotes like that. I, a woman agreed. years ago in New Zealand who came in with this this commercial and she wanted moody clouds and she wanted to look stormy and she wanted to look grungy and we we spent a lot of time layers and layers of stuff to produce this this look and she was really proud. She went off and came back two days later and said, well, as this is a commercial for children's yogurt, the advertising agency thought it was a bit scary. So I had to peel it all off. But, you know, to her, it just oh, looked great, but it wasn't going to sell yogurt. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, we're here to tell a story. Absolutely. You know, what, whether the story is for yogurt or if it's Miss Fisher or, or, or whatever. And, and we can do incredible things in the grading suite, but you shouldn't always. <laughs> Dee, I'll, I'm going to leave it there, but it's fantastic to speak to you and it's wonderful to to hear that that journey. I mean, as, as a 17-year-old Dee in New Zealand to, to, to working on these huge films, um, I mean, it's, it's an amazing journey and uh, I marvel. Oh, it's been fun. Oh, well, thank you. You're very very generous it's very kind of you and i've been it's been quite delightful talking to you too oh it's just started it's just started raining here actually. oh i wondered what that noise was yeah it's just uh, there's a storm coming i think <laughs> um d thank you so much my pleasure thanks Vincent. and um and uh, thank you to my uh lovely producer amelia chapelo for um making everything work uh because otherwise i probably wouldn't have a clue um and um thanks everyone for listening <laughs>